three years, Julia Roberts went from obscurity to global stardom. But at the pinnacle of that fame came the ultimate scandal. Days away from her wedding, she was running off. And who was holding her hand? Her fiancé's best friend. Welcome to Scandal from Shameless Podcast, the stories of the biggest celebrity controversies revisited. Sarah McDonald, hello. Hello, Michelle Andrews. We are back. We're here to talk about the Julia Roberts real-life runaway bride story, and boy, am I excited. I didn't know about this story, Mitch, at all. I had no idea that this happened, and I think that might be a common thought Mm. among many people our age because I do feel like Julia Roberts has sort of been able to move so far beyond this that so many people don't even know what happened. Yeah, it also preceded us even being born, so that might have something to do with it. Maybe some of our older listeners are very familiar with this story, but we're excited to retell it because I agree with you. So many of our listeners probably have no idea that Julia Roberts was involved in a scandal as big as this one. So, What are we going to do in these next two episodes? We're going to learn about Julia's love life, but also her rise to massive fame. Yeah, what is so remarkable about Julia Roberts' career is how quickly she exploded onto the scene. Like within the space of a a handful of movies, Mm. she was the biggest star in Hollywood. Like she left everyone in her wake. And I think perhaps that's what people our age might not appreciate is how big she was, like how it she Mm. was at this time. My mum is obsessed with Julia Roberts. So g'day, Vicky Andrews. I know that you will be listening for sure. If we haven't sold you yet, let us leave you with this line from the New York Post before we rewind. They described this as, and I quote, the first real Hollywood scandal of the 90s. This was a worldwide scandal as big then as Brangelina would become. Booze, drugs, strippers, infidelity, all were whispered, none confirmed. With that in mind, Michelle, let's rewind all the way back to 1967. Zara, we are in October 1967 in Georgia, Atlanta. Julia Roberts has just been born and she is the youngest of three kids. Welcome to the world, Julia. Now, Julia Roberts' dad was a vacuum cleaner salesman. Her mother was a church secretary, but both of them had a real love for acting and theatre. So in the 60s, they actually started a workshop for actors and writers in Atlanta. So by the time Julia was a toddler, she was around watching family theatre productions. She was very much watching people around her be interested and invested in the scene. Mm, In early 1972, so when Julia was just four years old, her parents filed for divorce and that workshop, that acting and writing workshop was disbanded. But the early exposure to the performing arts really gave Julia and her siblings, Eric and Lisa, this complete passion for acting. So much so that Julia's mother once called acting, and I quote, the family disease. (laughs) Okay. So while Julia went on to become an incredibly successful film star, it is important for us to acknowledge that her life growing up was not picture perfect. Some context on the messier parts of her childhood, Julia's mum remarried a man called Michael Motes in late 1972, which was just a year after she had divorced Julia's dad. Now, according to interviews with Julia's brother, Eric, Michael Motes was, and I quote, abusive. Eric, who was 11 years older than Julia, reportedly moved out shortly after their mother remarried. Yeah, sadly then when Julia Roberts was nine, her dad passed away from cancer. 
Years later, speaking to Barbara Walters about losing her dad and going through that grief so young, she said, he's completely accessible to me any minute of any day, you know, and not knowing anything different, it's the perfect father-daughter relationship. If he were alive, would he be here right now, able to watch me do this? Maybe not, but he's here now. He's always kind of watching. I feel a force maybe. She also went on to say, this is like the simplest corny thing, but I'm the only sibling in my family that has dark eyes and my father had dark eyes. And so I feel like there's a part of me that sees things the way that he would see them, that I look at things for him as well as for me, because we had that one thing in common that nobody else had in our family. I love reading these quotes. Mm. They're really sweet because I think it's such like a powerful way to look at grief, particularly when it's her father who died when she was such a young age. Yeah, and feeling his presence there all the time. Like, of course, it's bittersweet, but to feel like he is with her everywhere she goes, particularly on a journey that is as perilous as fame can be, is a really lovely thing to hear. Now, thankfully, Julie's mum did eventually file for divorce from Michael Motes. She did so in 1983, citing cruel treatment as one of her reasons for leaving and has since called their marriage the biggest mistake I ever made. In a two 2004 biography of Julia Roberts' life, author James Spader wrote that Julia, and I quote, feared and despised Michael Motes and that he, at least alternately, ignored, pushed around and denigrated his two stepdaughters. Has to be quite formative, doesn't it? Not least the fact that you don't have your dad around, but the man that's come in to be the father figure in your life, who's around for 11 years, by the way. Like, yes, they ended up divorcing, but that's still a whole decade of having this presence of a person in your life who is actively kind of trying to drive a wedge in your family and make you feel terrible about yourself. Yeah, for sure. Three days after graduating high school in 1985, a 17-year-old Julia moved to New York where her sister was living because she wanted to try to make it in the industry. She told Barbara Walters of this time, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I had the security of my sister who lived in New York and went to acting school there. Big, big decision. Three days after high school, saying to yourself, I'm not going to go into full-time work. I'm not going to go into college or to other education. I'm going to move to the biggest city in the world and try crack the most difficult industry to crack. I think we find when we go back and tell stories like this, there is a common thread between people who end up making it. It reminds me a little bit of Tom Cruise. He kind of did something similar just a couple of days after finishing school, ran away and was like, I'll give myself a few years to make it. Mm. Those people with such insane amounts of hustle are the ones that end up making it. Yeah, a lot of grit. Yeah, a huge amount of grit. Looking back on her decision, Julia told the New York Times, I had convinced myself that I had three choices. I could get married, I could go to college, or I could move to New York. Nobody was asking me to get married and I didn't want to go away to college, so I moved. Mm. Julia scrambled for auditions and parts and did land a string of really small roles. She made her first movie, though, Blood Red, in 1986, after her brother Eric helped her snag a role playing opposite him. Now, interestingly, at this time, Eric wasn't a massive actor, but he was bigger than Julia and kind of renowned as like the big star in the family, the one who was trying to lift his little sister up. From Blood Red, Julia went on to work in a film called Satisfaction, where she met Liam Neeson. Despite the age difference, when they met, Julia was a teenager. She was 19. Liam Neeson was 35. They entered a romantic relationship. So this might sound supremely stupid, (laughs) 
But when I saw this, when we were researching this and I realised that Liam Neeson was 35 in 1986, <laughs> I was like, he just seems like this ageless being. How was he 35 then? He really does. I'm always like a little bit judgy as well when I hear that a man in his mid-30s oh, is finding a teenage girl. I don't know. There's something about this dynamic where every time it comes up, I'm like, Liam, why? It is coming up a lot in these scandal episodes though. Like these young teenage women cracking Mm. into the industry who are meeting men decades older than them and then dating. Of course they have agency, but like there's absolutely room for discussion about power dynamics. Mm. I mean, it's one Taylor Swift has been trying to have all year. (laughs) Now, at this point in her career, Julia Roberts really was carving out a path for herself as a rising star in the industry. But it was actually her performance as a fiery waitress in 1988's Mystic Pizza that put her on the movie map. It was the year she turned 21. Insane. Fun fact as well, it was actually also Matt Damon's first movie and in the film, Julia played one of three best friends working the summer after high school graduation at a pizza parlour. The New York Times described her as a lively and beautiful young actress, adding that she was a scene stealer. Yeah, so all of a sudden after Mystic Pizza, Julia Roberts was a celebrity. Her star had risen incredibly quickly, but it had also risen incredibly high up in the sky. She told The Guardian years later, I was in the bathroom somewhere and this girl followed me and said, excuse me, girl in stall number one. I said, yeah. She said, you were in Mystic Pizza. I said, yeah. She said, can I have your autograph? I said, I'm a little tied up right now. This story is quite funny, but I also think it is perhaps really indicative of maybe how Julia Roberts has felt about fame Mm. always, which is she's never really seemed to have warmed to it. Do you think that's a fair assumption? She doesn't lean into it. You know how there are celebrities like Taylor Swift, obviously our last Scandal series, where they love the fans. They want to make it a big part of their personal brand that they wrap their arms around their fans, their fans, their family, they love their fans. Julia Roberts doesn't do that. Julia Roberts almost feels chillish towards her fans maybe? Yeah. I also think Julia Roberts was interested in boundaries long before the rest of us in 2020 and 2021 were talking about having boundaries, you know. She very much, even from the earliest parts of her career, was never going to fake anything. Like I'm not Mm. going to fake pretending that I want all of this. Like I'll be honest about it. Now, Julia went from strength to strength. The year she turned 22 in 1989, she starred opposite big shot Hollywood names like Dolly Parton and Sally Field in a movie called Steel Magnolias. It was about a group of women living in a southern small town. Her performance earned her her first Oscar nomination for Best Actress in a Supporting Role at the 1990 Academy Awards. Yeah, another major life event did come out of Julia starring in Steel Magnolias, though. That is where she met her fiancé, Dylan McDermott. Now, There is very little around about their relationship. We need to keep in mind that this was in the late 1980s, early 1990s. We know that they met most likely in 1988 because Steel Magnolias came out in 1989. We don't have a heap of info other than that. Yeah, exactly. What we do know is that these were two up-and-coming movie stars. They were engaged to be married And that's an important fact for you to remember here. And it was all quite quick. Like we know that it was speedy. Speedy. Great work. (laughs) Now, while Steel Magnolias turned Julia Roberts into a rising star and an Oscar nominee, 
As Entertainment Weekly wrote, Pretty Woman rocketed her past every other actress in Hollywood. And so is the time we talk about that very, very iconic movie, Mish. Yeah, Pretty Woman came out in 1990 and that was when a 22-year-old Julia became known around the world. This was her first starring role and it was a brilliant one. If you haven't seen the cult classic, Julia in Pretty Woman plays Vivian, a sex worker who meets the wealthy Edward. He ends up hiring her for a week during which he buys her fancy clothes, introduces her to rich businessmen and takes her to the opera. She doesn't look 22 in this movie or does she to you? I think she does. I think we just know what she looks like now. So maybe it's hard to think of her being so young. I don't know. It's so young to be in Mm. such a starring role, especially next to someone like Richard Gere. Now, Julia told the New York Times that the film didn't actually start out as a happy rom-com. Originally, she said it was a very dark view of a week in the lives of Vivian and Edward and it was not a happy story. It was not a funny story, but it was a wonderful story. When they cast Julia in the film, it was then sold to Disney and transformed into this kind of like rags to riches love story, I guess. Yeah, this fairy tale. Julia says that she did meet with sex workers in LA to prepare for the role, but she did tend to paint a dire and narrow portrait of the industry. At the time, she told the New York Times, it's real sad. These are girls, not unlike me, who look like your average girl, talk like your average girl. They have aspirations just like any girl does, except they're in this situation and they don't really acknowledge it that much. I mean, we have to acknowledge Pretty Woman wouldn't sit well with audiences if it was released in 2021. But again, and we've said this before, it's not really the most clever thing to do to apply today's standards to films that were put out 30 years ago. Yeah, well, perhaps it's not always the most helpful thing to do. But I also think it's always important to acknowledge that, yes, exactly that fact, it wouldn't stand the test today. I think it had quite a reductive view of sex work and had that a big thread of that like saviour narrative running through it. To be clear, though, Julia Roberts, like the rest of us, does realise that. Mm. She knows that. Asked in 2018 what she thought of the film in a post Me Too world, she said, yes, it was outdated. This is her quote. It's a 30-year-old movie. I think any time you're going to reach back to bring something into the present, there's going to be trouble making the connection for a variety of reasons. They could be political, cultural, they could just be dated clothing. So I don't think it's a reasonable testament to challenge the question of now, to use that as a template of would that work now? We have no way of knowing that. Mm, Putting aside its murky portrayals of sex work, Pretty Woman was a huge commercial success. It made more than $400 million worldwide at the box office and made Julia a global star. She was also nominated for another Oscar for it. Yeah, again, a quick reminder, just 22 years old. Now, at this point in her career, Julia Roberts had only been in eight films. As Entertainment Weekly put it, with head-spinning swiftness, she had hit the top. Mm, An agent told the LA Times the movie was like an avalanche for her. After the film took off, Julia got every script in the business. There was Julia Roberts and then everyone else. Now, when it came to the extreme success of this film, even Julia Roberts herself was a little surprised. She acknowledged that, and I quote, people sometimes speak as if one can tell what's going to happen in one's career. And when you think about the success of Pretty Woman, which is, and I don't say this in any kind of bold sense whatsoever, it's at this point quite factual, it is astounding. Yeah, so even she was kind of blown away 
with how quickly she was catapulted into global stardom. She also said, there is no reason in the world this movie should have done what it did. So when people indicate that I knew what I was getting into, I say, you must be mad. No one can know. I guess there is a little bit of luck with these kinds of movies. Like, yes, you can kind of have a recipe for success in some way, but you never know what's going to really hit a mood Mm. and hit a moment in the way that this did. I also think to understand the really quick rise of Julia Roberts, you probably have to understand her tenacity a little bit too. There was this really interesting profile in the LA Times from around this time and the journalist interviewed the then Fox studio chief called Joe Roth. Now, Joe Roth told this story about how he once had Julia Roberts over for dinner and this is his quote. My son was playing Nintendo. Julia came over and joined him. I saw that look in her eyes that I recognised from the set. I'm going to do this and win. I felt sorry for my seven-year-old. She wasn't giving him any quarter whatsoever. Still, it's not about a Machiavellian plan, not about competing with others. Julia's drive is about herself. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we can clearly see in the story of Julia Roberts a few ingredients made up her success. Yes, of course, there was luck with landing some incredibly successful, strong, likeable movies. There was also just born and bred talent. She was born to act. And then third of all, she has this incredible work ethic and this drive that I don't think everyone in the industry has and certainly set her apart. Now, Julia says that she did struggle with fame in the early days for sure. She told Entertainment Weekly, even though people were kind and sort of funny, there comes a point where it's actually sort of scary. People come up and grab you anywhere, in the grocery store or walking down the sidewalk. They say, oh my God, you're you and I feel like I know everything about your life so I'm entitled to come up and take five minutes of your day. Yeah, it kind of sort of plays into what we were mentioning before, hey. She also went on to say, it's gotten out of whack. I want to say hey, look, it's not really that big a deal. I think that it comes from asking why do people go to movies? Because they want to get lost in something because it's interesting and because, let's face it, some days are just boring. Some people's lives are boring. (laughs) Some people have whole years that are boring. You see something that seems more interesting, more exciting, and you want to be a part of that, which is why people gossip. They had something that was equally interesting, say, about themselves that's what they would talk about. Oh, dear. I think that we could do a whole, like, language analysis on this quote. Like, there's so much unpacking here. Yeah, it's not the warmest quote (laughs) to tell a publication that people like you because, and I quote, their lives are boring. Like... I understand maybe what she was trying to say, but she just comes off as quite frosty when that's what she's giving the media. Oh, yeah, 100%. It's not the greatest thing to have on your record. And granted, she was in her early 20s when she was giving these quotes, coming to terms with, like, global fame. But, yes, to talk about your (laughs) fans in a way that describes their lives as boring (laughs) is quite a divisive thing to do. Now, after that, Julia Roberts was considered the kind of actor who could open a movie. Now, that basically means that no matter what, no matter how bad that movie is, enough people will buy tickets in the first few days of its release to cover its costs. Mm. So it's like she's the best investment for any production house to hire. Yeah, if Julia's name is attached to it, people will go irrespective of all the other factors. She told The Guardian a few years on, they say I can open movies and that's nice and that it puts into people's minds that women can do it. It's not just Kevin Costner, not just Arnold Schwarzenegger, not just guys. Zara, we have just charted the rise of Julia Roberts's fame. 
Next up, we are going to chart her interesting relationship with fellow actor Kiefer Sutherland. But first, it's time for a word from today's sponsor. Alrighty, Mish. So off the back of Pretty Woman, Julia went on to star that same year in the psychological horror film Flatliners. Now, this is a film about five medical students who try to find out what happens after you die by stopping their hearts and reviving themselves. <laughs> Clever. Not, not quite my vibe, but I appreciate it did well. It was actually there that she met the actor Kiefer Sutherland. Now, you might know Kiefer from his performance in the cult TV show 24 or even more recently, the really popular show Designated Survivor. Yeah, Kiefer was still married to his first wife, Camelia Kath, with whom he had a daughter and was the stepfather to two sons. So when he met Julia Roberts, he was otherwise engaged. He and Camelia had separated reportedly, though, and he was struggling with some alcohol problems. Yeah. And I think it's time we have to bring Dylan McDermott back into the fold, right? Because this is a guy that Julia Roberts was engaged to. According to People magazine, she broke off their relationship in 1990 after one, maybe max two years after she met the 23-year-old rising actor Kiefer Sutherland on the set of Flatliners. Now, it's really interesting because I think when you talk about Kiefer Sutherland having a wife, a kid being a stepdad, you don't realise that he was also only 23. Yeah, they were both super, super young. So she leaves her fiancé, he officially leaves his wife and now they're together and they're iconic. According to the New York Post, looking back on this time, Kiefer and Julia were the first Gen X Hollywood power couple, bigger than even Johnny Depp and Winona Ryder. They presaged Gwyneth and Brad, Reese and Ryan, Ethan and Uma. Julia was tall, Kiefer less so. She smiled, he grimaced. Her image was sunshine and apple pie, his danger and despair, the yin to his yang, Julia Roberts could do no wrong. What a quote. What a quote. Sunshine and apple pie. Sunshine and apple pie, (laughs) his danger and despair. It's like, oh my goodness, (laughs) the danger, like the woman, (laughs) the sunshiny woman goes for the bad boy. Now, reports surfaced in August 1990 that the couple were engaged. This is a quick timeline, if I may. Mm. We don't know exactly how long they were together for. Again, the sort of late 80s, early 90s, murky timelines everywhere. (laughs) But during a 1991 interview that Julia Roberts did with Barbara Walters, Barbara noticed the ring and asked about it. Obviously, everyone was kind of wondering about the ring. So Barbara Walters was like, I'm going to ask the question. Julia's response was so interesting, Mish. She said, This ring was given to me without question and without response. He is the person I love and admire and respect most in the world. Probably the most wonderful and understanding person I have ever met. Mm, Barbara asked Julia whether she thought that this relationship was it, whether it was the great love of her life. And Julia said, yeah, forever love. I believe in that. And I believe that this is it and that's kind of that. You know, we live together and we're happy and we're in love with each other and isn't that what being married is? is. Now, Barbara raised the fact that Julia had also previously been engaged to Dylan McDermott and was now, of course, with Kiefer Sutherland and that maybe she was gaining a reputation as an actress who would enter relationships with her co-stars. But two of them. Her two leading men she's been in relationships with. Well, I wonder if 
Barbara also knew about her first relationship with the huge age gap between her and Liam Neeson? Yeah, potentially. Exactly. Yeah, and her her response was really interesting. She said, "Yeah, well, unfortunately, I don't think it's an association that people understand. When you spend as much time as I have in the past period of time, I don't know who they think I'm going to meet and spend the most time with, you know, but actors and people that make movies. It seems quite normal. At the same time, Kiefer and I are two people who are very passionate about what we do. We are two people who love each other and we both happen to be actors. So it's not so much the actor first, but it is the people first. It is one of those things where at this age, particularly with the amount of work that she's taking on, her job would rule her life. You're not sort of socialising in any other circles. Like these are the people that you're meeting Mm. and these are the people that you're most likely to fall in love with. Yeah. Now, Kiefer and Julia were, of course, in love. They were due to be married and that wedding was planned to take place at the 20th Century Fox film lot, which was (laughs) done up to mimic a garden for 150 guests. Now, in an interview with the LA Times just a week before the big day, Julia explained why she chose the studio for the wedding location. Yeah, so she said it was for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, it was because she said that Fox Studio Chief Joe Roth, who I mentioned before, the dad of the seven-year-old with the Nintendo, was a dear friend. (laughs) Nintendo man. And for that reason, she felt like the environment was secure. She also said that there was a certain symmetry or poetry to getting married on a movie soundstage. Can we dive into this for a quick sec? (laughs) Because look, I like Julia Roberts. Researching her life has been lovely, but I was surprised to learn that for a woman who shirks some of the aspects of fame, who doesn't love being known and having people come up to her, chose the 20th Century Fox film lot as her wedding venue. There's something incongruous here for me that doesn't quite sync up. I don't know if I agree with that. I think like... If she's all about the work and that's where she feels safest, like that makes more sense to me, like a secure environment that's like got security around it rather than some like winery. But there are so many wedding venues that she, she's Julia Roberts. Well, she's yeah. going to be at a higher security wherever she goes. It is kind of, it feels very much like they were getting married at work in many ways. Now it was set to be in the middle of June, which was of course the American summer. People magazine dubbed it as the fantasy wedding of the decade. The theme of the wedding was garden paradise. I don't think we can understate how big these two were and how big this wedding was set to be. Julia, who at this time was referred to by the tabloids as Hollywood's most bankable star, was to be wearing like a custom-made gown described in one press report as an $8,000 two-piece number with a long jacket mitt (laughs) that would turn into a mini dress after the skirt and train were taken off. I don't know what that means. So 90s. I also love that an $8,000 wedding outfit at this point in time was considered like out there and insane. Like these days, celebrities are getting married in like $1 million dresses. Are they? Yeah. Oh my God. Who got married in a $1 million dress? Well, if it's not $1 million for one dress, they're getting married in like eight different outfits. Like (laughs) gone are the days of whip off your train and you've got a whole new reception outfit. Paris Hilton wore what? four dresses. Then we have like every princess under the sun seems to be getting married in like a million outfits. Actually, now that I think of it, didn't Serena Williams get married in a 
like super expensive wedding dress. <laughs> the one with the cape. Yes, Is the that one the with one? the cape. That was one of the most expensive wedding dresses of all time. That was certainly over a million dollars. So I'm right. Yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> I can see defeat here. <laughs> Look, all of that aside, Julia's bridesmaids, who were her makeup artist and then two of her agents and fellow actress Deborah Porter, were going to be wearing $425 Manolo Blahnik shoes dyed seafoam green to match their dresses. I actually had to Google what colour seafoam green is because I didn't even know. Describe now, it then. It's it's now, I've just got it up on my screen. It's sort of a, it's a sea, minty colour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mint's good. I'm About, looking at it as well. It's a bit minty. Now, as People magazine wrote in 1991, there were early warning signs that the romance was in trouble. At this point in the story, just for a bit of an age check, Julia was 23 years old, Kiefer was 24. So really, really young. Mm. In February that year, so four months before the wedding, Kiefer actually moved out of Julia's home and moved to a hotel across the street. Now, People magazine said it was, and I quote, because of a spat or because he was doing research for a role in the now dead movie In From the Cold, within days he was seen several times in the company of Amanda Rice, a go-go dancer who performs under the name of Raven at the Crazy Girls Club in Hollywood. A lot to unpack there. People magazine reported that Kiefer visited the dancer Amanda three or four times at work and that one time they took a day trip to Disneyland with her son and Kiefer's three-year-old daughter from his former relationship. Now, this reportedly caused Kiefer and Julia to briefly split, although it was reported that they were back together by mid-February. However, three months later, Amanda Rice, that dancer, told the tabloids about her sexual relationship with Kiefer. As People magazine wrote, she quoted Kiefer as saying that Julia was insecure about her looks, overly possessive, and since Pretty Woman had turned into an ice princess. Look, if a woman who has an affair wants to sell her story to make some money, sure. Go for it. But why Why do they always go for the other partner? Like this seems to be another consistent thread that we've seen a lot mm. researching these stories, going for the woman who was cheated on. Also imagine being like she's insecure and overly possessive, like probably because she's being <laughs> cheated on, yeah, Amanda. Exactly right. <laughs> Kiefer's publicist denied claims of an affair. He said that they had met but they hadn't had a relationship and there was nothing sexual about it. What's really interesting about this story, Mish, is two days after that story came out in the tabloids, Julia reportedly checked into a medical centre for the flu and stayed for five days. According to People magazine, Kiefer visited frequently. Mm, Being in hospital for five days for the flu, I mean, I'm no doctor, I'm no medical professional. That's longer than I've heard someone who of that age, like Julie is very young. I understand the flu can really knock people around maybe when they are immune compromised or they're a lot older. It is surprising to hear that two days after this massive story comes out, which would cause so much mental anguish, so much stress. Julia happens to be struck down with the flu. There's just question marks here. Well, yeah, and I think the media were trying to put question marks on it for years after it happened. But again, we it's been, what, 30 years and the story has never changed. Mm, so we do know, however, that the couple was still celebrating their engagement around this time. They were still being photographed together heaps. And Julie's agent threw her a bridal shower. So the wedding date that was set for June 14, 1991, was still going ahead. Like there was no question that the wedding was happening 
despite all of this bullshit that was coming out in the media. <laughs> Just a lot of drama. There were also rumours at the time that Kiefer had grown jealous of Julia's rising stardom. After she received an Oscar nomination for Best Actress for Pretty Woman, the Hollywood Reporter columnist Robert Osborne suggested in print that Kiefer's inferior earning power and possible jealousy over Julia's career might have rattled her. Yeah, so at the beginning of June, this is the month that they're getting married. Two weeks before the wedding. Two weeks before the wedding, Kiefer flew to his 300-acre home in Montana to prepare for their honeymoon. Julia went with some friends to Canyon Ranch Spa in Arizona. Now, in case your geography is as bad as mine, which is catatonically bad, (laughs) they were about 2,200 kilometres away from each other. Two weeks before the wedding and they're not together. They're not even remotely close to each other. They are miles apart. Which is fine. I mean, you're allowed to take a holiday away from your partner. The issue was that as People magazine reported, while on the spa weekend, Julia had a surprise visitor. That surprise visitor was Kiefer Sutherland's best friend, the 24-year-old actor Jason Patrick. (laughs) Oh, God. Some context here. Jason, welcome to the Scandal episode. Jason Patrick, for those unfamiliar, is an actor. He and Kiefer both appeared in the famous 1987 vampire comedy The Lost Boys. He was Kiefer Sutherland's best mate. Now, here's a passage from People magazine who reported on the story at the time. Two days after Kiefer had flown to his 300-acre spread in Whitefish, Montana to spruce things up for their planned honeymoon, Julia headed for the chic Canyon Ranch Spa with some friends. But who should turn up at the spa the same weekend? None other than Jason Patrick. There on Sunday night, June 9, five days before the wedding. That's five my days choice. before the wedding. After a supper of chicken piccata and peanut butter yogurt. So 90s. <laughs> Julia, says an eyewitness, discreetly left the dining room with Patrick, who appeared to be comforting her. So, just to reiterate, five days before the wedding, we have Julia on a spa weekend with her girlfriends, with her fiancé's best friend. Just randomly turning up out of nowhere and they're pictured by the media. They're photographed or spotted walking off to a room together while he is comforting her. Two days after that, four days before the wedding on June 11, 1991, Julia's spokesperson releases a message to the media saying that she has postponed her wedding to Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah, this was three days before the wedding. So work to transform that 20th century Fox studio parking lot was (laughs) cancelled and People magazine wrote the following... Stagehands started dismantling the faux setting. Orders for the bundles of fresh-cut roses that would have adorned each table were cancelled. Marconda's Meats, a gourmet meat market, was told to bag the order for the beef fillet and a local liquor store stopped shipment on the champagne. The wedding cake, a four-tier extravaganza that was to be trimmed in violets and more seafoam green ribbons of icing, went unbaked. All that seafoam green stuff, guys, that never got used. Then on June 14, the day that Julia Roberts was due to get married to Kiefer Sutherland, Kiefer is seen moving out of her Hollywood Hills house to move into his own apartment. Julia, meanwhile, is eating burgers with none other than, you guessed it, Jason Patrick. We are going to delve right into the fallout of this one and exactly what happens between Julia Roberts and Jason Patrick from here. But for now, 
We're going to leave it right there. We are going to leave it right there. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Scandal, all about the life of Julia Roberts. A massive thank you, as always, goes out to our researcher, Justine Landis-Hanley, who did so much good work on this one. If you want to see some throwback photos, enjoy some extra content all about this scandal, make sure to follow us on socials. Our main pages are, of course, on TikTok at shameless underscore podcast and Instagram at shameless podcast. Yeah, guys, we will be back in your ears for another wrap in the week that was in pop culture on Thursday. And then keep your ears, eyes and everything peeled for Monday where part two is dropped. Ears, eyes and everything. Everything else. Thanks so much, guys. (laughs) Bye.